Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is an ABC podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I am thrilled to be back with my lockdown ladies for the Sanctum Sisters Variety Hour. I am Emma Race and I'm so pleased to be here with my sisters, both in podcasting and in Newton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you introduce yourselves. Hello, I'm Lucy Race. And I'm Julia Kiera. How are you, my loves? We're not leaving home anytime soon. There's been weeks extended to our uh, us being benched for the big V. I now have, you know how you have your favourite sports bra, you have a good your good going out bra. I now have my favourite mask and my going out <laughs> mask. Are you guys the same? Yeah. I'm the same. I actually have decided, I've realised that I, instead of changing my clothes every day, I have an outfit that I wear for a week <laughs> and then I... And it's just tracksuit pants, but I that I'm just not changing it. But I'm likening this feeling to the end of a long haul flight. Nerves are frayed, the toilets are smelling, people are just kind of hanging on to their sanity. But there's not much point in opening the door till we get to the airport. No, don't even stand up and get your stuff out of the overhead locker. Julia, how are you going? I'm fairly okay, actually. I think, yeah, it's. Look, there's lots of media conjecture about the extension, but I feel all right about it and I feel like we're in the groove now. Let's just knock it on the head and hopefully we'll get some kind of a summer. Yeah, maybe. There's been a lot of, you said um, there's been a lot of media conjecture. I'm going to bring something up here that there's nothing quite like footballers commenting on politics and politicians commenting on football, which is happening a lot. And whether you agree with Dane Swan or not, he offered us up a gem this week. Lucy, what was it that he said that tickled your fancy? It's not rocket surgery, Em. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. And it's not rocket science either. I liked it a lot. (laughs) I liked it too. It could be the best ever commentary watch. So there's been some highlights. I can't tell which round we're in. I don't know if it's for everyone across the nation that they like having football pretty much every day of the week, but I now don't know when the weekend is because all the long-haul flight is Monday through to what all the other days are. They all feel like Monday to me. I don't know what round we're in and when it flips over from one round to another round. Can you help me with that, Lou? I can. So why you're probably confused is round 15 finished last Friday night, then round 16 started on Saturday. That won't finish till Wednesday, which is our pod day, but then round 17 will start again on Thursday. So it's kind of like a sushi train (laughs) and it just keeps going. (laughs) 
do you find that the Mayan calendar is now out the window <laughs> with this new AFL fixture, Julia? Oh, it means nothing. The clubs get a bye, but all that means is that they get a seven-day break between two two games. That that's that's not a bye. That's that's normality. Oh, look, I made the um. Made the reference last week that it's not enough time for a piece of corn to go through your bowel, and it's the same. Like, what? What is this? The players look. I watched a game last week, and the players just look exhausted. Like they're just playing twelve quarters of football back to back to back to back. They look absolutely exhausted. Well, we'll get to that because that could be the reason why we've seen things going pear shaped in Hubland, Clubland, and Hubland. Um, but first, give me a highlight. What's something that you saw that you liked? My highlight. I can't go past the story of the Sandful Best and Fairest. So two weeks ago, Rochelle Martin was named the solo winner of that, and there were some eyebrows raised on the night when the round five votes were read because Anne Hatchard had had a record 42 possessions in that game, but she didn't get a vote. Her teammate Alex Fitchard took the votes for her three-possession game. So, And can I um, just say that just happened that both of them were wearing long sleeve jumpers, I think? That is correct. So cue Hercule Poirot, who (laughs) did a little bit of investigating, and it turns out you are correct, Emma, both women were wearing long sleeve jumpers. And to confuse matters a little bit more, Anne was wearing number 50 and Alex was wearing number 20. So the umpires and the officials got together and realised the error and rectified it. I think it involved a little bit of signing of some stat decks, but injustice has been averted and Anne was named named the joint winner and presented with a medal. So isn't it nice that they were actually joint winners and that it didn't mean that Rochelle Martin had to hand back her medal because that would not have been a highlight. It's terribly awkward. It's happened before, Julia. I remember one year at the AFLW Awards, I was sitting next to my date, Daisy Pierce, and the Melbourne votes were read and there was some egregious moment. It might have happened even at, it uh, might have been a GWS um, Melbourne game and votes were clearly given to the wrong person and everyone got the giggles. But does it happen in women's football a lot? I mean, you look at the umpires quite often, they're like, you know, 14-year-olds who are doing umpiring instead of a paper round. And, you know, all women sound the same, so surely all women look the same, right? Yes, well, why are you trying to get me into trouble with asking me this question, Emma? Before <laughs> <laughs> is my question. Yes, I believe I saw it before uh, in VFL Women's and VWFL before that, that um, perhaps players who did very well on the field but were not particularly well known to the umpires did, never got votes, but others who were more well known would get votes. That's all I'll say about that. Well, I'm not going to let you get away um, too quickly because I want to ask you your highlight and then I want to mock you mercilessly for the fact that your opinion is shared amongst a lot of football commentators. What's your, what's What was your highlight this week, Julia? Well, my highlight was uh, in the Western Bulldogs West Coast game. The Bulldogs were playing for a spot in the eight or to stay alive, essentially. West Coast, uh, you know, top four team and Marcus Bontempelli, Three minutes to go, 
kicks a huge punt from 50 and, you know, gets the goal, gets them a two-point lead. There's a bit of conjecture about, you know, was the ball over the line? The unfortunate use of the phrase bee's dick was used to describe how close. Uh, But I love that, you know, I love a captain's clutch goal and I hope one day to see my team do one. (laughs) So you have talked about Crips being clutchless. Clutchless grips. And it turns out that your opinion, your exact opinion, has been shared by none other than Kane Corns. So I'm just going to say separated at birth. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. But I have seen was, that. Was that the corn you were referring to? <laughs> yeah. It does take a long time to digest that, to digest that corn. <laughs> My nutritionist would call that a very long transit time. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what we're all in. Exactly. It's all making sense. It's all coming back around. Um, It's not rocket surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to give you my highlight before we completely lose the plot. Um, You'll remember a couple of weeks ago that on the pod we paid tribute to Yasmin Horsham, who we discussed had been a pioneer of women's footy and she'd been an amazing player. And I was kind of saying that the lack of archiving and there's no historians collecting all the information about uh, former players uh, who played in women's leagues that we never got to see. And then this week, a lady called Maureen Gaylor died and she played footy in the 1950s. She was the grandma of Alex Saundry, who you will remember played for GWS and is now a talent manager within AFLW circles. And she posted some images of her grand playing and there was this beautiful photo of her getting a rub down, lying on on the side of the field, you know, on a bench and getting a rub down. And I just had never seen a photo like that before. My highlight was seeing that image and just the way that it resonated. Now, I did some research. That image came out around the same time as the Ted Witten era of photos of him, you know, with his very Ted Witten iconic kick. I can't stop thinking about how different the world would have been if we'd had as many photos of people like Maureen as we did of Ted Whitten, because it's the ultimate, if you can see it, you could have been it. And it feels like such a lost moment. But we had a little footnote, Julia, that um, there is actually an archiving project going ahead and it involves the Darabin Falcons. Yeah, it does. The Darabin Falcons are um, trying to put together their history, which, as Emma has mentioned previously, you know, the, the history of women's footy isn't really properly documented in the same way. So the Darwin Falcons are actually funding several projects, sort of, um, some audiovisual, some research, some kind of digital publishing projects, you know, of a, of a high quality nature to really get our history chronicled and for everyone to be able to share it and, and learn about the great club that it is. So if you are a historian or a digital producer and you're interested, send an email to contact at falcons.org.au and you can be sent the project brief. It's a paid role. Um, So if that interests you, I'd say get on board. And we'll put all that on our socials. We are going to make history. It's been announced that the AFL Grand Final for 2020 will not be played in Victoria, not at Waverley, where we've all seen a, a Grand Final. We were all there for the one time. Julia's still looking for her car in the car park. And it's going to be played at the Gabba. There's been some discussion this week. I love the whoever the musical act is at the grand final. I've had they've had I've had some seminal moments there. Lucy was with me when I cried seeing Jimmy Barnes. I love seeing Mike Brady. 
But my query is, ladies, can we have one day in September if the grand final's in October? (laughs) I think this year's told us that time means nothing. So probably, I don't know, is is the daylight savings will have kicked in by then. So will it be September still in Queensland? I always get confused about the time difference between Queensland and Victoria and daylight savings. I don't Uh, think it's a month. (laughs) I think it's about the same time it takes corn to get through the I hope someone really mansplains to me through social media the time difference when, I, when I've made that joke. Anyway, continue. Well, I am hopeful that the Gold Coast Suns chairman, Tony Cochran, might be able to step in and help. So, you know, we, we refer to him as Gold Coast Suns chairman. We could also refer to him as impresario <laughs> or entertainment promoter. Did you know that he has a Tony Award? What? An actual Tony Award for hairspray. Oh my goodness! So we the new triple have threat. The new triple threat is a Tony, a Brownlow, <laughs> and an AFL Premiership Cup. Absolutely, and you know he was involved in the V8 supercars, so that really opens things up. We could have Starlight Express crossover with cars. This is extraordinary. Well, I was thinking that given we're not going to have a grand final, I wanted to put it to you, could we have a grand vinyl where we have to, (laughs) we pit two grand final kind of worthy songs up against each other and you have to vote? For example, would you vote, Lucy and then Julia, would you vote for One Day in September or Up There Kazali? Up There Kazali. I agree, Up There Kazali. What about... Uh, for a big stadium like sporting theme, simply the best versus we are the champions. We are the champions. Simply the best. <gasps> oh wow! It's an NRL Heartland song, but well, I, I like I've, I've also just been watching Shit's Creek, which I think lots of people have been during lockdown, and there's that that song is very beautifully performed a couple of times in there. So I feel a bit more fond about it than I otherwise would have you got any other nominations for grand vinyl for our grand vinyl lucy well my favorite is always leaps and bounds but i would also say can you have leaps and bounds if the mcg is locked up and empty (laughs) you'd have to be pretty high on a hill to see the gabba (laughs) (laughs) we're going to take this to socials and people can vote the way that they feel whichever song takes their fancy are we ready to roll up roll up our sleeves and melee ladies as Julia literally rolls up her sleeves. Queries about the culture of AFL and Richmond Footy Club are back on the table this week. On the weekend, two Richmond players, Sydney Stack and Callum Coleman-Jones, breached hub rules, AFL and team rules after a gathering hosted by Richmond. They took an Uber from the hub to Hollywood Showgirls Bar and then afterwards to a a kebab shop where they were involved in a little tussle. If Richmond were Jumanji, they would only have now one of their three lifelines left, (laughs) one more strike and they're out of the game. How have you processed this piece of news and this kind of news item this week, Lucy? Look... I think that it's it's just a, it's a terrible situation and what I've been thinking about is you know what could Richmond have done differently because the stakes are so high they already had one covid breach against them so they had a suspended fine hanging over them and 
I really wonder if it's a failure of the system, a failure of the organisation. I think, you know, there's a big difference between players who are 20 or 21 compared to older players. So if, you know, the rules for how you actually talk about the rules and how you provide support and education and all of those things for a cohort where you've got, you know, a broad sweep of of players who are at different points in their life. These aren't the first young adults to take really, make really bad choices. The problem here is that their bad choices have awful ramifications because that $100,000 fine is enormous and will have a real impact for Richmond. It has sent state governments into a spin. It's made things incredibly difficult for the AFL and I think they've probably lost a fair whack of support from supporters. And you really hope that you know, in 14 days' time that as a result of this breach that there's no way outbreak in that Richmond hub because that would be the kind of pressure that these two players, I mean, it would be unthinkable, right, that, that kind of pressure. Absolutely. And I think I heard Jack Rewalt talking about it last night. I thought he was, you know, pretty good. And the fact that he talked about this being a team failure, that basically when something like this happens, you know, the team is basically responsible for it, that they're making sure that those two players have all of the support that they need because, you know, this is a big thing to have mucked up on such a monumental scale. And so it's important that their mental health and their well-being is taken care of. But I think, you know, he made made the point, which I think is very fair, that no one will be feeling worse than the people who work incredibly hard in Richmond, not necessarily the people that you see out on the field, but the people who do so much in terms of their um, cultural, organisational programs and you know, this is this is hard for them. This makes more work for them at a time that's already really difficult and they're already under stress. Julia, we hear about culture all the time and how important it is. You've been at footy clubs and you've been the welfare officer at a footy club, so you understand how, how it's lent on. Where do you see the culture conversation in terms of the footy club from here? Does, does it mean it's indicative of a culture problem? I don't think necessarily a problem. I think it kind of speaks to how how culture is a living thing and you have to constantly upkeep it. You know, it would have been a we would be having a very different conversation the three of us if it was Patrick Dangerfield that did this, right? I think we we're acknowledging that these are guys at the beginning of their career, then they're not the center of their team, they're not the captain or in the leadership team. They're players that are new um, and they're players that might play one week and not play the next. They're kind of those borderline players. So the question for me is how do you keep culture rich and alive so that all players, the whole list, even those ones that fall in and out of the team and might not feel like they're at the heart of the team, are going through the same decision-making process and they're going through the same decision-making process at 2 o'clock in the morning after they've had a few drinks with the rest of the team. Like how do you actually ensure that the culture you're trying to create is alive and well when people aren't really thinking straight? I think that's the challenge, That's and that's the challenge in all clubs and in all organisations. So is it a problem? Well, yeah, but it's a problem everywhere and that, you know, we've seen in Victoria that we're 
we're here all the time and we, we would hear it in the media and in our daily lives that people have certain restrictions placed on them. But there's constantly people trying to find the loopholes and how to get around it. And there's this idea that, oh, I could just do this and no one would see and I'd get away with it. So all that stuff is just human nature. But I guess they have to be held to a higher standard. There's so much uh, riding on them fitting in with the rules. There's so much riding on it. You're not just the spread of disease, um, but also the the well-being of the, the actual competition as we know it, know it and all the stakeholders that are involved. I'm starting to wonder whether we have failed these players in that the systems that are set up and all the education, it hasn't really served them. It's possible. It is entirely possible we've asked too much of these players because people are not meant to live in hubs and then be rolled out to play in these enormous high-pressure environments and not when they're 20 and 21. This is not normal life. And mm. so I, I'm really concerned that we that the human toll of this may be something that we can't quantify and I know how important it is for the game to keep going for the industry but at what cost you know I'm starting to see the holes it's starting to spring a few leaks it's potentially a free kick for NRL because the game's gone to Queensland the grand final's gone to Queensland SA and WA are both pretty forgiving well they're footy states at least that may have been a bit more forgiving with this but I think the AFL and the whole the whole industry that and all of the teams and all of the competition is going to be basically the guests of Queensland and they mm. need to make sure they put every foot right. I thought it was really interesting that Anastasia Palaszczuk put out a tweet before the AFL had actually handed down their sanction. It may have forced their hand. There has been some conversation about whether the sanction was the correct one. I mean, I think sending them home probably is and giving them a 10-week ban each, but whether or not it might have been better for them to have lose their draft options you know going forward might have been better than a huge financial sanction which which we know may see them lose staff members at Richmond which just seems so grossly unfair. Oh absolutely and I think you know there's the hard thing for Richmond is you know they're doing okay on field but off field they've had a terrible month really to and if you look at the messaging around the Richmond brand just you know over the last few weeks that Firstly, they, you know, said that they wouldn't be fielding a VFLW team next year due to COVID and downturn in revenue. Just a few days later, they made a big splash about having over 100,000 members again, and that made people raise their eyebrows. And then to then see this $100,000 fine, and a lot of people are putting two and two together and saying, well, that pays for a VFLW team. I think that we have to be careful about putting all of that on the head of, of, on the shoulders of these two players, because you have to acknowledge that it's that big because it's a second breach. I do wonder how many other clubs have had players who've potentially broken the rules and haven't been found out. I mean, I think it's a, it's a good point that you make, Em, that you know, are we asking too much of them? Mm. It's a good time for other clubs to have a good conversation with their players and make sure that they truly understand that they don't want the weight of this coming down on them. In other news, some serious allegations of violence were made about Swans player Elijah Taylor this week and the Swans were swift to say that they're investigating the allegations. We can't say too much while it's being investigated, but this morning Jessica Halloran wrote in The Australian that um, the Respect and Responsibility 
policy at the AFL probably needs to be looked at again, especially in light of the fact that Jordan Dugowie, who is facing a charge of sexual assault and has a court date in October, is set to maybe come back and play in the next couple of weeks, if not, you know, in the next game. So that's something that needs to be looked at. And I also thought it was an appropriate time for me to bring up the fact that I'm aware of a new toolkit that has been created by the Male Champions of Change, which looks to employers to encourage them to help facilitate help and rehabilitation for employees who use violence. So um, for them to seek help and to help them curb their violence or, you know, things that are not going well for them and 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 then subsequently having violent outbursts. It's my understanding that this work was actually slated to be presented to the AFL club CEOs, but I'm not sure if it's happened yet. But Bagul McLaughlin is a male champion of change, so he should be aware of the push for employers and organisations to step up to help protect victims. And I think it's a really interesting one because we've seen so many times the impetus is on victims or alleged victims for them to do the work and this is kind of turning it a bit on their heads and saying no you know as organizations as big organizations we can support you to get the help you need so that you do not perpetrate violence so I think that's really interesting I think that one thing that we can do better in reporting of violence especially when it comes up in sport is for example in this story there's no room for racism to be used in this story and there's also it's not welcome and it's not appropriate for people to pass judgment on the way that the alleged victim has used Instagram because that is an appropriate reporting method potentially for this person. So I think we need to keep an open mind in how we can support potential victims but also sport plays an enormous role in sending the right messages. Just on that, I mean, it's great to hear about that toolkit from the Male Champions of Change because it's been it's a program that's been around for a long time. I think it's had a bit of an overhaul and I don't know that people have ever really heard about a lot of the actions that it takes. And so I think that's really good. As you've pointed out, Em, there's a really important role that sports journalists play in shaping and influencing community attitudes. And more than ever, I think sport gives the opportunity for people to really join the dots between media coverage, respect, and then the cultural change that's needed to help prevent violence against women. To that end, our watch in conjunction with Emma Race, have Mm -hmm. put together a new event series, which is basically inviting sports journalists to do a series of seminars to really help give them the skills and give them the um, information to ensure that the communications that they put out are moving us in the right direction. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, only just that I think, obviously, I think it's important because I've co-authored this piece of work and I'm looking forward to digging into it. There's never, I can't think of a week where we've needed it more to be able to give people kind of that roadmap to be able to talk about things responsibly. But the other part of it as well is that there is going to be a series for female sports journalists to be able to bring them together as a cohort to be able to help them build networks and share their vision for equality and respect in sports media and and also become a cohort to support each other because you know I mean just today I was asked if I would write an article about what's happening with Elijah Taylor and I just don't have the bandwidth to do it at the moment because if I write an article like that 
I get hate and I get violence and I get vitriol landed at my doorstep. And because of my mental health in this lockdown and homeschooling three kids, that's not a cost that I can wear at the moment. And so, and that needs to not be part of the story. That's what I think. I think it needs to be a safe place to report it. Another interesting um, development this week, Julia, was Anthony McDonald Tip and Woody took to social media to make comment on something which is just to think that he actually felt that it was necessary to speak to people who'd been bullying him online was heartbreaking. Yeah, so he... he he posted on his social media in response to something that happened in in the first, say, minute of the game between Essendon and Geelong where he was, had a kind of set shot on goal. It was on an angle, about 10 metres out, and he, he tried to hand pass it Irving Mosquito and it didn't quite come off and essentially that, that opportunity to kick a goal was missed. Now, Essendon went on to lose by 11 goals. So we can't say that that one kind of slightly um, errant handball is the cause of that loss. But he, he posted on his social media, I'm so sorry for letting everyone down. And you all think I'm an arrogant person, but I'm not. I was trying to bring someone into the game. We are coached to play for each other and want to play for each other. I am trying. And when Oren read that, that was just so heartbreaking to think that someone who, you know, has tried something in the game, they thought that was the right decision in the moment and it hasn't come off, feels the need to respond to to the to the public with something like that. And we can only imagine the types of messages um, that he would have been sent to kind of prompt that kind of response. We know that over the last little while that there seems to be more and more um, occasions of this where uh, viewers who have been disappointed in a particular player feel that it's appropriate to message them, to hound them on social media, letting them know what they really think of them, um, abusing them, threatening them. That you know, there was only a little while ago the incident with Dylan Grimes that escalated to the point where someone was arrested because of the threats that they made. It's horrifying. It's horrible. I think social media creates. This sense of anonymity in that you can say whatever you like without the repercussions, but also this intimacy where because you, you know, they've got the little blue tick there and that is really Anthony's account that you feel like you can say whatever you like to him and and it will, you know, that he'll read it and clearly he has read it in this instance. But I don't know, is it because we have too much time on our hands that we feel that we can, uh, it's our right to uh, police players game styles and decision on the field what what do you think it's funny like Michael Gleason wrote an article about this a few weeks ago and he called Instagram the new outer <laughs> and said where some people you know feel they have the license to say whatever they want I think that that's right and we're seeing some of the things that we used to hear people say in the outer where we're actually seeing on social media what makes people so angry and if I can just have a sidebar here something that's just I can't work out is why the idea of staging makes people as mad as it does. Mm. I've been really trying to sort of dig in and think about what is it about that particular action? You know, there are many times where people do something that's against the rules of the game. So, you know, they might not actually hand pass. They may may do a little throw or push someone in the back and try and get away with it. But if you stage, and I can't help thinking that it comes down to a, you know, an us and them in terms of Australian rules football versus the round ball game. <laughs> mm, it's very interesting. I think we need to dig in with some research. 
this seems like the perfect time to segue and pass the mic to Shelley and Kate, who recognise that the hate and vitriol that people are getting online on social media is not okay and they are aiming to do something about it and here they are to tell you all about that initiative. So Shelley, one of the biggest stories of 2020 and I think one of the saddest and most frustrating stories we've witnessed is what feels like an explosion of online racism and race, racial vilification online. It feels like almost every week we have seen another story of another AFL footballer who has been the subject of just a torrent of racial abuse. We've seen it, of course, in other sports too. And this is just the tip of the iceberg because this is a problem for people from diverse backgrounds no matter uh, their social status, it's just that we tend to see it through the lens of footy. I know this is something that you've obviously followed really closely this year and that's also then ended up impacting on you. Can you tell us a bit about that? Last year, the players decided at the AFL Indigenous camp that they were going to start calling out racism. So I decided that I would, too, I would join in that as well. So I started calling it out, but I, it became so frequent it was like you said it was just happening more and more and more so I had called out for Neville Jetta, Chad Wingard, there was Liam Ryan, Eddie Betts and then I obviously caught someone's attention because I then started getting trolled myself and people were being quite racist to myself which impacts the way that you use social media you know you get on there and you you have this moment where you're not quite sure if you're safe to go online and because as we know racism has the long-term effects that it does on people's welfare and I was very very upset by what had happened and I spoke to you several times about it and I started a bit of an online campaign about calling out racism and what we decided and what we actually saw sorry was that social media platforms they don't protect you at all their idea of racism and our idea of racism are completely worlds apart so anytime we reported these terrible tweets or you know posts or snapchats we were basically getting back that they hadn't broken any racial vilification rules within their company which we know isn't true so I wanted to do something about it I spoke to you several times and you suggested to me to write a letter to the Attorney General which I never thought was ever going to happen in my whole entire life so it took me a little while to process that and then you suggested writing down all of the things that I wanted out of this letter which I did, and then you wrote it into this magnificent lawyer letter that was something that was worthy of an Attorney General's attention. So for that, I will be forever grateful, Kate. And it ended up being evolving from my letter to our letter. And I wonder where and why you thought that happened. I think it became clear to me pretty quickly through conversations with you, Shelley, that um, this is just a persistent problem and I could see how it impacted upon you as a, as a friend of mine. As a woman, of course, I've also experienced other kinds of discrimination online. I've been subject to my fair share of um, sexist remarks and commentary over the time. And, and I was able to connect to it you know on, on that level as well as well as somebody who's a friend who cares about you and had seen what was happening to you but I think particularly with the advent of the AFLW too it's really sharpened our awareness of it's certainly sharpened my awareness of vilification because we've seen a whole bunch of sexist commentary online but also to transphobic and homophobic comments online and you know you and I talked about all of these things collectively and how we'd like to see some action uh, taken on all of them as you mentioned Shelley there's a gap in our legal and policy framework online platforms aren't 
held to account or aren't regulated legally in exactly the same way or as, uh, to the full extent that they could be. And, and so I think we saw an opportunity there to try and harness some of these negative experiences and put it into action. And, and that has ultimately taken the form of this open letter to the Attorney General. I was so thrilled that in a really short period of time, we had 100 people from all walks of life agree to sign on and support that open letter it's now gone off to the Attorney General and I, it's been wonderful because his initial reaction is very positive. He's indicated that he's prepared to talk to us and, and work with us and we're really hoping that this opens the door for some reforms that will make online, well, that will improve online safety for everyone. Absolutely, and we've, we've asked that fake accounts or burner accounts are a thing of the past, that people are not able to create these and that they're able to, that we have to have some form of ID attached to our accounts and that the eSafety Commissioner has the swift control to remove harmful posts and also if somebody is racist and they are removed from a platform that they can only get back on if they've actually taken a part in some sort of cultural education around what they were saying and also the platforms themselves understand the ever-evolving nature of racism in Australia and so it's, it's education has played a big role in what we've been asking too and some of the names, Kate, have we gone through them? Some of those names, they're, they're amazing names, aren't they? You know, to get Adam Goods and Stan Grant, and one of my favourite stories is Ling Jong. He, I asked him from the Western Bulldogs, and he immediately went and out and asked all people of colour within his team to join it and they all came back and joined the letter. So it's been pretty special, hasn't it? It has been, it has. We have, because it's an open letter, it's publicly available. So if you go on to the Outer Sanctum website, on the website there's a tab called Updates and you can find the open letter there. And I really hope that our listeners will take the time to go and read the letter in full and have a look, look at the list of um, signatories. One of the things that I discovered while um, helping you put that letter together Shelley was a stat that is now going to stick in my mind and that is that some research was done a couple of years ago that attempted to give some sort of measure some value to the impact of racial discrimination on Australian society and that research showed that racial discrimination costs our country 38 billion dollars per year that's in terms of the economic and social and health impact so things like you know lost productivity time off work time off school it's it's one way any it's it's one way of thinking about the impact of racism on people like yourself and the others that we've talked about. And I think what we're both hoping from this is that it will have an immediate impact on this generation because a lot of work that I do is for the next generation but I just have a really good feeling that this work is going to be something that will impact this generation and future generations. So I thank people. Make sure you check out the whole letter and if you would like to you can also add your name as well to the open letter so we'd love to see that too. We put a call out and asked you to send us the sounds of the outer because, of course, we can't get to the football along with a dozen other Victorians. So we've been so grateful for people who've sent things in, especially those people who sent a sausage in bread in the mail. Thank you for that. Um, here are the sounds of the outer for you to enjoy if you are missing it. Have one uh, frosty cold beer, please. Yes. 
So here we are at Walkerville Recreational Oval in the inner northwest of Adelaide. And one in very important sound and smell that's missing in ovals right across Victoria is the footy club barbecue. Here we've got... Uh, Andrew. Can I please order a bacon and egg sandwich, please? Yeah, sure. No worries. Thank you. Well, the rain has made an appearance and it has uh, led to maybe 40 spectators seek refuge under the, uh, the tin roof in the Walkerville stands. It's in the rooms now. No heat out there? No, it's been uh, pretty good. There's a bit of lift from a few players, different teams, but me and Cam, you pay those early free kicks, make sure you set the tone yeah. early, and the players know what to expect. It definitely so. toned down in the second quarter. Drop back, Charlie down, drop back, defend. Just wait, can we call time? I okay, call time. Oh, whoa. It's just, it's only 11.06, the game's not going to start till 11.10, the other game. Good work, Sadie, pick it up, hand off. Look at that! It's Sadie versus Harry, Sadie versus Harry. Up the gut. I'm Catherine Murphy and you're listening to the IJ Sanctum. So the question went around, do did anyone do a, an opener for the fifth quarter? And I know that Nicole Hayes is a huge fan of Pearl Jam, so I really messed with one of her favourite songs for you. <laughs> Alone, lockdown, breakfast table that at 9am becomes a school. Ten girls, 30 fans, what TV shows get their attention? It's the fifth quarter, a time to distract us while pubs clubs and bars aren't open it's the fifth quarter a way to distract us from the fact that we're not coping it's the fifth oh my goodness after that emma race um i'm gonna have to and in homage to my to the, my one true love, Eddie Vedder. Sorry, Frank, and anyone else who might think they can lay claim to my heart. He is my one true love and my one and only. So I might just need a little lie down for a minute, Rana. Um, yes, yeah, we're meant to be doing fifth quarter. Maybe you can take over for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I I've got a couple of things I wanted to tell you about Nicole because I I feel like I still and I've said this before on the fifth quarter. I'm not consuming heaps at the moment. I'm finding it really hard to do any real reading or watching between homeschooling and working but then just the mental kind of clog but a couple of things have popped up so I recently had the privilege of talking to authors 
Jessica Luther and Kavitha A. Davidson, who've written a book called Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back. And this is basically the Outer Sanctum Bible. It's a book about all the issues sports fans often find when they love sports. So there are chapters called Coping When the Sports You Love Are Anti-LGBTQI+. How do you continue to love a game when your star player has been accused of violence against a woman? So, you know, this book is just, it's like it took all my angst around sport that I felt my whole life and put it down in a book. It's quite academic, so the academics amongst us will love it, but it's just a beautiful kind of laying out of the intersections of sport and politics and social issues. So I highly recommend it. And I did get to have that chat with the authors, Rue Swinburne. Um, So if you're interested in watching that, they recorded it so you can go to their social media to find it. The other thing I've just started, and so I don't even know if I can recommend it yet, but so far, so good. Um, This is something fellow potter Lucy Race recommended to me. Because I've actually been missing, weirdly craving The Handmaid's Tale at the moment. And there's obviously no show to catch up on. And I've read both books. And the second book I didn't love. Shame, <laughs> shame. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. yeah. You'd think living in this kind of quite dystopian world at the moment, I would run a mile from craving anything in that vein. But I'm not. I'm, I'm really wanting to watch movies and television shows and read about kind of dystopian worlds i've just started the power by naomi alderman have you read this nicole hayes i have not but it's on my list it keeps coming up in my recommended and it feels like something i'm writing a ya that deals with this dystopian kind of handmaid's tale Uh sort of post-life so this intrigues me i will put it to the top of my list Uh, margaret atwood is on the cover quoted as saying electrifying I can't recommend it because I haven't finished it yet but Margaret Atwood is telling me that it's electrifying but I'll just tell you quickly what it's about all over the world women are discovering they have the power with a flick of the fingers they can inflict terrible pain even death suddenly every man on the planet finds they've lost control the day of the girls has arrived but where will it end oh wow now (laughs) I that's all I needed to hear (laughs) yeah really it's (laughs) sold I wanted to finish on something that I've been turning back to over and over again my whole life really, but particularly this year. And that's a poem by Maya Angelou called Still I Rise. It is just the most beautiful poem that is so her voice, that is so strong. And, you know, in the same vein of the power and probably why I gravitate to the power, why I gravitate to AFLW, why I gravitate to women like you guys on the pod, is because there's this incredible strength. Uh, And this poem is just strength in words and in expression. And I, I find it so uplifting, no matter what's going on in my life, when I read it, I find an inner strength in me. You know, this poem for her is about being an a black American woman, but I kind of feel like it doesn't matter who you are, you can take something out of it. And the last verse ends with three repetitions of I rise I rise I rise and that in itself when you read it just becomes this like affirmation and you just kind of you saw with her but you can find on YouTube a clip of her performing this poem and once you see that it's like oh you can't unsee it and it's amazing and that's what you hear she does it with such sass 
and such strength and just such character. At the moment, between Black Lives Matter and the pandemic, I've needed it. I've needed courage and strength. And from women, I just need to see other women and their strength at the moment. That's what I feel like is really hitting the spot for me. Uh, in a similar vein, I, I guess it's a similar vein, we, the, we're doing the family marathons where we do our sort of groupings and we're looking at series for the last one, but this one we're going to just, we're, we're doing a festival of Chadwick Boseman. I went down a rabbit hole Aww. and I just completely fell in love with him kind of separate from what I knew of him before in the last week or so. And, you know, my husband's an American. He's a massive baseball. He plays it still, even though he's an old man. He loves it. So we thought we'd start with 42, which is the story of Jackie Robinson um, starring Chadwick Boseman. Uh, anyone who doesn't know Jackie Robinson was the first black major league baseball player. So, you know, there, there was a, an actual black league before that, but and he, that he was a part of, but he was the first to play in the major leagues in America. It is, uh, I think it's set in 1945. It's a really powerful story. It's called number 42 because that's his number, the number that he wears. And there's actually still every year, one day in the baseball season when the entire baseball community, all the players wear the number 42 for one game. They just had it last week, actually. And so the power and the influence that Jackie Robinson's had on the game is just extraordinary all these years later and continues to be recognised. It's a lovely film. Look, I'm not saying it's not the most, you know, challenging of It's challenging in terms of the material but in the context of the current Black Lives Matter I have to say it you know it doesn't feel as far removed from now as it should and it, and maybe as it might have if I'd stayed in my little cocoon prior to the sort of last few years um, where I thought mm. things were better than they were and I've had this really shocking wake-up call which you know speaks to the privilege of being someone in white skin mm. it did give us all a lift the whole family really enjoyed it we're all crying of course by the end of it his wife Rachel Robinson played by Nicole Bahari is magnificent she is such a joy to watch and just brings so much to the to the story I feel like because it was set in 2013 I feel like it might she might have had more screen time in a contemporary like more recent because she's such a great character and clearly so it was so influential and she's still alive as far as I know she's still alive um it's still very influential in his sort of foundation I think she would be a lot more central to it because she was so important in his it's written and directed by Brian Hagerland I should also mention that Harrison Ford stars as well um but yeah Chadwick Boseman Nicole Bahari and Harrison Ford it is I highly recommend it as as a feel-good film ultimately but also perhaps as a reminder that we've still got a lot of work to do and you know maybe we haven't traveled quite as far as we thought we had a great recommendation from you Nicole (laughs) (laughs) looking forward to the rest of his body of work Thank you for that, Nick and Rana. Ladies, it's been such a pleasure to be here with you today and I can't wait to hear from everyone on socials. It's actually kind of a lifeline for us here in Victoria (laughs) at the moment. Do you have any final business? Yes, I just wanted to do a little shout out and say this Sunday, have a look out for a new documentary called Freeman, which will be on ABC and iView. It's marking the 20th anniversary of Kathy Freeman's iconic win at the Sydney Olympics. If you can watch that and not cry, then are you even human? <laughs> Zip up your zoot suit, Julia. Will you be watching it? Yes, I, even the ad is giving me goosebumps, so I'm really looking forward to it. Well, there's only one thing left to say, ladies, and that is... Go, go footy. footy! We'll see you next week. <laughs>